Well, welcome to Where's Jesus with Pastor Todd Peavy on Reflecting Christ Podcast, where Pastor Todd and I look at where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament, book by book. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, so Deuteronomy. Uh, it's funny how we are looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, and when the Lord shows up, on Mount Sinai and he's covered in fire and smoke and everything uh, he's hidden though he's hidden from the people and Moses warns the people to be careful not to make any type of an image because they didn't see any form of the Lord when he appeared there in the fire and I just thought that was kind of the flip the exact mirrored image of what we're actually trying to do is find Christ in the Old Testament right right and of course Moses is warning them against idolatry Sure. Uh, I don't really have a question necessarily, but do you have any comments? Well, images have a way of going bad. It's one of the reasons thou shalt make no other, you know, graven image or anything. Mm. Either because we have a tendency, even if we're trying to do it for the right reasons, to do it the wrong way. And the reality is who can grasp the glory of God to begin with. And it's one of the things God obviously wanted us to understand. I think it goes to the extent of when we think about our own salvation, of the fact how really separated we are from God in our sin. And we have to have this Savior to ultimately do what? Bring us into God. We can't even grasp, see, even touch the holiness of God in the state that we're in apart from Christ. And I think that's one of the reasons he wanted He wanted them to understand as far as with no images and those kinds of things is that how far removed you are from who I am apart yeah. from a Savior. And the other thing, too, is you, we don't have any idea of what we're doing. How do you make an image of God who we haven't seen? We can only oh, right. come up with man's idea. Man's idea ultimately ends up tying into his pride. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a tendency to take an opinion on things we don't know anything about anyway. God said, my ways are higher than your ways. And, you know, with everything we know of him, you know, like Job said, these are the mere edges of his ways. This is all we see is a, a, just a, fit, a fight, very small thing of who he is. Right. And there's no way to grasp who God is in any kind of image, painting, or anything like that. So, do you think that there has ever been any true depiction of Christ? No. I don't think there's three people that have any beginning clue as to the glory of God outside of Peter, James, and John when they saw him transfigured. Right. That would probably be the closest. Um but even then, you're you're seeing flesh. You're not you're not seeing the God who is spirit. Right. Um, every every example of me, it's almost you know it's indescribable. When Isaiah saw him, Ezekiel saw him. It, even then, it's always different um, right. because God's so manifold. Um, and so the closest thing you would have to anybody knowing anything like that would be those that experience that. You know. I mean, Paul, I guess Paul's talking about himself. He keeps saying he knew a man, right, mm-hmm. who had saw the third heaven and everything that was almost indescribable to him. Um, he, You hear him try to explain it. It's, it, You can tell it's, it's, there's no way of, there's no way of getting it without having been there. There's no way he can describe it. I, I remember uh, Francois Norcilius, the first time I ever had him speak, talking about the poverty in Haiti. And then he just stopped and said, you, I, I can't explain it to you, you have to see it. 
Well, then when I went to Haiti some years later, it was like, oh, okay, it is. There's no way to describe it. Mm-hmm. So when you take even something like that here on the earth that can't be conveyed, then you, you think about the glory of God. It's just something that absolutely surpasses all of human understanding and grasp. I don't know if there's been an art, artist hand that could could do it justice. I mean, I guess we try. Main thing is we're not worshiping them, you know. Right, yeah. He, well, yeah, when the Lord tells him, don't make an image nor bow down to it. Right. That That's the key. It's the yeah. worship is he's talking about. I, you know, I mean, you know, you take like the Muslims, they're, they're really big on, you know, no kind of image whatsoever. I mean, they don't even, like, if you ever played with an Islamic chess set, you can't even keep up with the pieces. I mean, or they're, they're, you know, they don't even have, they're not even an image at all. I don't mm-hmm. think that's the kind of stuff God's talking about. It's that you're trying to convey who he is and, or some false god and bowing down and worshiping it and those kinds of things are just the reality is that that cannot contain in any way who God is. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. You're right. Well, amen. So uh, in chapter 4, verse 31, Moses encourages the people that God will not leave them and Jesus reiterates this in the first person. Oh, sure, yeah, it's quoted right through. I mean, yeah. no, that's where that all begins. Mm-hmm. I, won't, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan like, you know, the Christ was talking about the comforter coming. So, no, it's a it's a definite. Uh, I mean, you, you see that, that very verse used, you know, multiple times in the New Testament where it's alluded to at least. Yeah. 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 It's definitely, I mean, he's definitely telling us that. It's the reality of the of the perpetual nature of the child of God. Uh, and then, and then, remind me of what the word Deuteronomy means. Doesn't it mean uh, rep, re, like to repeat or well, again? Well, Deuteronomy or is a synopsis of the first four books. Really? Okay. Uh, per, per, well, I'll say four. Really, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Uh-huh. And so, really what you have is Moses is now at the end right. of of his life and the spirit inspires him to write through that's why so much of it is redundant yeah because it's really re it's recapturing like you were talking about mm-hmm. and so um it's it's really it's own you know it's it's like reading the the whole exodus situation in a nutshell yeah really. yeah yeah i was gonna say, i was gonna say in verse five or chapter five verse five moses reminds them that not only did he remind them not to make an image, but he reminded them of how he had to stand between mm-hmm. them and the Lord. Right. Which would be, of course, a picture of of Jesus. Definitely. You know, there's the mediator. Uh, and then in chapter 6, how do, you, how do you pronounce that word, Shema? Shema. Shema. You'll hear it pronounced different ways by us Anglos. But. Right. Yeah, the uh, Shema is how you see here. I hear most people say it. The, Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4 and 5. Yeah, and then Jesus reiterates it in right. the Gospels. He says, uh, he declares that the Lord is one and, and to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. Right. Now, when Jesus reiterates it, he says, does he add to heart, soul, and strength, or does he change so, a word? Mind, you see, 
in there. Mind, soul, Mind. and strength, or yeah, yeah. you you know it depends. Of course, you know I mean theologians have been debating this forever, whether you're you know the the term is trichotomy or bichotomy. Is the spirit and the soul one thing, or are they different things? The Bible says they can be separated. I think they're different things. I think it ties into the 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 the, the reality of of God is three in one. I think he made us that way. I see spirit, soul, and body. I think the soul and the mind are are, are the same thing. Sometimes you'll even hear people talk about with all the emotion, that kind of thing. But but I think that's all centered out of the mind, out of the soul. I think it's what makes us unique to what we are. Now, where does the spirit end and the soul begin is you know something that I got books over there trying to discuss it and mm-hmm. figure it out but but you're basically all with you know the command is with all that you are if i have a spirit if i have a soul slash mind and i have a body strength right it's physical strength then uh, that's all that i am and that's what the command is right you know right so why would the, so the pharisees question jesus about this in the gospel what is the I mean, well, it, what was it? A lawyer that pitched yeah. the question to yeah. Jesus? Sure. So a lawyer, a lawyer, an expert in the law, not mm-hmm. the term, way we use it, an attorney, uh, you know, wanted to know what, what's the great commandment or what's the greatest commandments of all. Christ gave it and then said, of course, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is, hangs all the law and the prophets. Right. In other words, the whole Old Testament hangs on this. If you got this, you got the whole thing down. And, and of course, and the lawyer agrees. He said, indeed. Right, and he quotes this, and uh, so uh, why the ribbing? What what's the point of? Well, you know, within that group, you had people that were honestly considering Christ, and even most of those lawyer group in the lawyer group, or well, those Pharisees. Pharisees. Well, yeah, I mean, Nicodemus was one, right? I mean, you you had in that group men who were they were Pharisees because they wanted to be in God's will. Mm -hmm. Now they got corrupted by pride and position and riches and all that kind of stuff, like people tend to be. But within there. You know, there were honest seekers. Um, I mean, Nicodemus is the greatest example of all. So, you know, you have those people, they come up and they have this this question. I mean, you think about it. A mechanic walks in here. Me and you are in here studying the, the Bible. And he a mechanic walks in here and pulls up Isaiah out of my Bible and, and then reads part of it. says, this day is this prophecy fulfilled in your hearing. Well, Huh? And he's going to go to saying stuff, and even though he may be demonstrating it in power, and that's what got their attention. Okay, if he, everybody's like, well, I don't know about this guy. Well, he just raised a dead guy. This guy just gave sight to a blind man. This, this guy, that guy was a leper. I know him myself, right? Okay, so what does it do? It gives audience. Mm-hmm. Well, then when he gave audience, Christ did the miracles to, to actually validate who he was. And if, if he was who he was, then what he said was something we had to deal with. Okay? So he's saying things, and they're like, huh. So they're thinking, right? This guy's been studying his Bible his whole life, you know, to use our vernacular. And uh, he goes, well, what's the greatest commandment? Because he's read this. He's heard this, right? And then Christ says it and amens it. And he's sitting there, you know, like you're nodding your head right now. Going, well, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See? And then, you know, now a lot of times out of fear, they didn't follow or, you know, this and that. I mean, you know, you know it's like with any group. Within every group, there'll be a remnant. You get around, the, you get the gospel, you get the word out, you're going to get a remnant. They're going to get saved in spite of a lot of the stuff that's going on. We know they were having lots of conversations. I mean, even like, you know, when they were talking about, 
you know, killing him and stuff like that. You know, Nicodemus speaks back up and goes, well, is that how we do it? We, in our law, do we, we condemn a man before he's even tried? It was tried a continuous or? debate all the time. All the time the about Jesus. Oh, yeah. And especially within people that knew more. Mm-hmm. Okay? The Bible says the common people heard him gladly. Right? Well, they, they weren't so dumb to think that it wasn't some small thing that some guy started coming along and fulfilling everything. Well, they they had not lived their life where they were ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of truth. You have to realize within those Pharisees there was so much tradition, so much stuff had got added. Just like our, frankly, in our Christianity today, how much stuff is added off of what we think out of what we, you know? Mm. I used to think that the Christian life was rather constricted, even as a saved person. Okay, even once I began to preach. Okay, constriction, constriction, constriction. And you realize, no, the boundaries of Scripture are really wide. Mm-hmm. We're free to all things. What, 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 what? Not all things are expedient, those kinds of things. So you have this, this huge boundary, okay? Frankly, you can live in a big boundary easy. You know, if I put a cow on a 7,000-acre ranch, you don't really go around jumping fences. All right. All right? Yeah. But if I constrain that thing, mm. right, and I, and I stick it in a chute, and I make it mad all day long, and I don't let it eat, and it's not living the way it's meant to live, what happens? It gets mad. You know, as we say out here in the country, that head goes up. Mm-hmm. When that head goes up, fence is going to get jumped. Go down, what, what happens? Our We're saved. We're creating the image and likeness of God. We're not made to live inside constrictions. We're made to live inside holy areas. What's holy, what's unholy. God says, here's your boundary. But we all constrict. You know, there's... There's what God said in the scripture. Then there's Western culture. Okay? That boundary comes in. Right? Then there's there's not only Western culture, but there's American culture. Inside American culture, you got pretty much from the South. Guess what? Texas got its own identity. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Then we got the way our families have done things. Then mm-hmm. we got the way our denominations do things. Then we got the way our own particular church does things. We got the way our mom and daddy thinks on things. And what happens is it's press, 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 press. And then we wonder why everybody's trying to get out of the fence. Yeah. Well, the truth is, and that's what had happened with those Pharisees. They had narrowed down, narrowed down all their... Jesus got on to them for it all the time. He said, y'all are teaching for commandments the, the traditions of men. Right, right. Do you think, that's why Jesus kept, I think he kept doing stuff on the Sabbath just to hack them off. You know, these guys would not walk on a plowed field on the Sabbath for less they tilled the ground. Right. Okay, that sounds very religious. But what it is, is nonsense. Yeah. You know, it's like I know guys that won't preach unless they prayed for two hours. There's a bunch of legalists. Sometimes it might take me two hours. Sometimes it might be 20, 20 hours to pray. Sometimes yeah. you're going to pray all night. But if you got it in your head for me to be holy, of course, I always blow them up with why not four hours? Yeah. You know, you only say two hours because you know it's longer than most people pray. So you right. look like you're, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest. It don't take me two hours to talk to God. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a smart man, but I am smart enough to say what I mean to God and believe that when I say, God, I want this to be done in your will, then I can leave it there. What are you going to do? Talk him into it? Right. You're not going to be heard for your much speaking. Now, when it's honest and it's genuine, some, but you know what? You, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, you got to go away from that constriction. And that's what got those Pharisees. They were so constricted, and then it had to be the way they thought. I mean, to the Orthodox Jew today that's running around as a rabbi that's still hoping he's going to bring in the Messiah, all this nonsense of r- ritual and, and stuff that they're doing 
is just to try to fit through the eye of the needle, so to speak. Yeah. And it's it's not the way to liberty, at all. Right. And it it and, and that's one of the things that you know it's like I say when you talk about John the Baptist and Jesus. Well, which one came more? Lived a stricter life. Not not talking about sin. Obviously, Christ was sinless. But John the Baptist lived. A, we were talking about the Nazarene, right? The other day, right? John the Baptist lived a considerably more "quote unquote" religiously stricter life than Jesus did. Right. But notice, Jesus didn't come like John the Baptist came, and I think he did that on purpose. You know, Jesus could go to a wedding and enjoy himself. Right. And I, mean, I see Christians can't walk out. They can't walk outside of church. Heck, they can't even come into church without. Everybody, everything's so constricting. Everything's so tight. Everything's such a press. There's a time to be pressed, and there's a time. You know, there's a time to there's a time to there's a time to cry. There's a time to laugh. And Christ lived a balanced life. Yeah. And these Pharisees, they they lived extremely strict religious lives. And that had by the time Christ came, if you think about it, you've got. Um, okay, so if I talk about, and I know we're on this podcast, okay, you had the Essenes. Okay, right. they're out there around the Dead Sea, right? And that's where our Dead Sea Scrolls come from and all this kind of stuff. They called themselves children of light. Right. And they called the Pharisees children of darkness. Okay, they saw, excuse me, they saw what, um, uh, you know, what was going on. Okay, but if you look at even those guys, it probably it's where John the Baptist was staying. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about a guy named John in those latter I ones, you know, you, you know, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, you know, one of the things is everybody got to remember, you know, it's 20% of the Dead Sea Scrolls never been released. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they want to know what happened to the Essenes. Well, the Essenes, I'm going to tell you what they did. They believed in Jesus. Right. They trusted in Jesus, their Messiah. There wasn't no need for them to be out here. But think about how many ceremonial washings they did in a day. Well, they had a ton of them out there where they stayed. Yeah, well, that's all they did. Yeah. They did not move from one thing to the next. They never ate a meal that they didn't walk. I've walked down on myself, the steps. They walked down the steps into a ceremonial pool and up the other steps Mm -hmm. so that they could get that washing in so they could go eat, right? It's almost like you got to wash your hands and say you're blessing. Well, (laughs) right, because they had to be pure. Mm -hmm. You know, they're constantly striving and... Uh, and that's what that that's what that lawyer was doing. Yeah, I don't know that he had a bad spirit. Yeah, I was I was about to say. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he was trying to rib Jesus. He was just. It doesn't mean he know. was trying to trip him up. Now there was a lots of questions Jesus took where people were just trying to trip him up. Yeah, and out of that group, but when that man asked that question, frankly, is that an honest question? Yes. Right. Well, he's trying to maybe see if his spirit jives with his well, spirit. Yeah, because I don't know who this carpenter is. This guy shows up. I mean, right. if some guy showed up from who knows where, if we put ourselves in that spot, and we've been reading the Bible our, the whole Testament our whole life, and we think we got an idea, and then he comes, and he, he, he just comes out of nowhere, and he's making all these big claims. God walked in here right now and says, I'm God. I'm not going to believe him at first. I better see something, hear something, there better be something happening in my spirit. I'm not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deny him and think that I'm doing God justice. Right. Remember when Jesus told them they're going to crucify you and persecute you and all those kinds of things? He said they're going to think they're, they're doing God a favor. Service, yeah. And that guy was just part of that group. Uh, you know, when you know more, it's hard to get through somebody knows something. Oh, a pagan is the easiest thing in the world to lead Jesus. 
I've talked to most of these old guys around here. I preached funeral yesterday. But half them guys in there I'm talking to, they just a bunch of old, they just regular old guys. They don't know no different. They don't, you know, they've heard about Jesus. But they don't know him. You know, and they're not cheating on their wife, and they're, you know, they, you know, they're not, they're not wasting all their money on lottery tickets, and they drink a little too much, and they play poker a little too much, but, you know, they're just trying to get through life. You talk to them about being a sinner, they know about lust. They know about, they don't like it about themselves, but they got it. Right. They don't, at least don't hide from it. You take a moralist, Romans two, you move from that pagan to that moralist, what happens? It gets harder for them to get saved because mm-hmm. they have their own idea of morality. Then who's the hardest group to get? Well, that person that knows, i.e., right. he was talking particularly to the Jews because the, the, to them the oracles were given. They grew up with the law. They grew up with it. And even Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you don't know what you believe. Salvation's of the Jews. You, we, know what, we know what we believe. You don't even know what you believe. Because what did they do? You know, because she asked the question. Now, they say, you, you Jews say Jerusalem's the place to worship. But my ancestors said... We could, we could worship up here in this mountain. Well, what had happened? The north, the split between the northern and the southern kingdoms, right? And the kings of the north did not want the people going down to Jerusalem right. to worship. That's right? why they built the altar up there. So we built two of them. Samaria, we built one in Dan. And we, we want to, what do we do? They did like we do, frankly, in American Christianity. Denominations. Make it, well, let's make it convenient. <laughs> yeah. There's the thing. Because, see, there was times that, that back then under the law, they were called to go to those feasts. You know, Jesus never t- tells us to take a p- pilgrimage. Not one time in that Bible. You know, a Muslim, if he can, in any way, shape, form, fashion, he's to go to Mecca. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jesus never said go to Lazarus' tomb. He never said go to my tomb. Because my kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Right. But anyway. So, so what they do? Well, stay here. Keep close to home. How many how many American people listening to that podcast right now? I guarantee you, eight out of ten of them pick the church they're going to based on convenience and service. Mm-hmm. What's convenient to them and what they can get out of it, not what they can put into it. Right. And they're frankly, they're either lost or they're baby Christians. But you got to grow out of it. Yeah. Amen. Okay, so in uh, chapter nine, Moses warns them not to get too proud because they didn't inherit the land based on their own righteousness. Amen. There you go. That sounds just like the gospel. I mean, that is the gospel. Me and you ought not be puffed up because God saved us, because we were dirty, rotten sinners when He found us. Yeah. And so, and if if we've been given any gifts, you know, I know people that are are proud of their ability to preach, but you only have that because God gave it to you. Right. God doesn't give you the gift of prophecy or exhortation or something like that. You don't know what you're doing. You know, the best way I had ever heard described was don't think of it as a gift as much as it think of it as a grace or the the open door to operate in this type of way. Well, amen. Or bless God in that type of way. Well, you think of a think of a guy that grows up born with a silver spoon in his mouth, and he thinks he's special, and he thinks he's different because his daddy had money. Mm-hmm. Well, you just had a rich daddy. Right, right. Why are you acting? Sp- well, that's what that's that's us. Mm-hmm. We have a rich father who's yeah. given us grace and mercy and salvation. The worst thing on this planet is a looking is a it, worst looking thing on this planet is a stuck up Christian, yeah. a prideful. It's what Moses told them. Don't get what had happened to the Jews. They got so prideful about the fact that the promises were coming through them. They didn't even think it could happen to anybody else. That's why every time Jesus said, "I got another flock," and I'm gonna bring them in. And that, that, that flock's going to be one. Oh, Jews had a fit. Yeah. That's the whole thing, you know, you talk about when they were griping about John 8, where they're talking about, uh, 
you know, Abraham's our father and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, we got to be blessed because, you know, God can't do anything without us. Well, God, Lord, help the church is one of the greatest examples to the Jewish nation that God don't need you. Yeah. Think about the gift of tongues on, on Acts chapter 2. Well, everybody in the Jewish nation was just absolutely convinced that there wouldn't be no blessing in the world unless God checked it off with them, almost like the Catholic Church. God's got grace, but he got to check with us to give it out. Well, what happened? You're talking about when Peter goes and then the Greeks speak the well, same you, way? Well, yeah, okay, so everybody's hearing in their own language. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Right? So here's, you got to realize what was going on there was as much a sign to Israel as it was a sign of God has kept his promise of sending the Comforter. Yeah. Because when the Lord fell on the day of Pentecost, and of course we're not talking about any unknown language of that day for sure. I mean, we're not, this ain't a, you know, this ain't a 1 Corinthians chapter 14 type discussion. Okay, this is, uh, this is a, uh, this is everybody is hearing in their own language. There's no, not even any interpreters because they're speaking and they're speaking languages they have never heard, earthly languages. Well, what's happening? People are sitting there going, man, I'm hearing in my language. Well, guess who God just cut out? Yeah. He's cut. He didn't need a Jew translated. He takes these ordinary people and he puts his power on them. And guess what? People that showed up to that feast, you know, there's a whole list there in Acts of all these uh, different dialects, yeah. nationalities, and all that stuff. And everybody heard in their own language. Well, again, that's a phenomenal thing. But why did God do it? Well, he did it because he needed to do it. And he, and and all them priests and all these, all these people that had all these positions and you got to come to Jerusalem, do it the way we do it. You got to do what we say, or you're gonna be, you're not gonna be able to come to God. And this is what Martin Luther recognized yeah, coming up right. as a as a Catholic monk. Is that whoa, he'd been taught that the church was the means of grace, God's grace given to the church, and that we dispense it how we want to. Well, he recognized no. That grace comes from God to us. Well, there it was. Boy, you just see it, man. And that's what happened. That's what Moses is telling them. Don't get too prideful because everything you've got, you've got by, because it's been given. And that same thing is true in the church today, especially in dealing with each other. I've seen people be very prideful in their gift. I know people that have the gift of evangelism that get on my nerves talking about how many people they've led to the Lord. And i got news to you. If you've led people to the Lord and God's given you that ability, it's because you have the gift of evangelism. Mm -hmm. It's nothing else other than the Spirit of God operating through you. And he, I'm holding a blue coffee cup in my hand, and he pick it up and use it if that's what he wants to do. Right. Why are you being prideful? You're wanting people to see you. I always get nervous, but somebody comes up to me. Now, don't get me wrong. The old boy shows up and somebody got saved and he led somebody to Jesus. I'm happy about that. But the guy that comes up to me every week and gives me the list of people that he's led to Jesus, I never see none of them baptized, I never see none of them come to church with him, never see none of them going to work. <sighs> Nonsense. You've just gotten to the point that you know how to get people to say yes to you. Right. Primarily so that you'll shut up and leave them alone. <laughs> I remember when I learned that I, I the Holy Spirit showed me uh, that very thing. Because I knew how to lead a horse to water and make them drink. There you go. And when I realized that, I thought, oh, man, I better slow Well, because down. force of personality is not necessarily um, God's will. There's times with people, you have to ask before, to me, I think you need to ask God before you talk to people. I want to talk to God about men before I talk to men about God. And sometimes God will say, shut up. 
Mm-hmm. I have literally been on the street where I'd see a homeless man, let's say, I, I think he was homeless, and I sat there and talked to that man for 45 minutes. I have literally, two months later, walked by the very same spot, and a guy be laying there on the street, and my wife say, are you going over there to talk to him? I said, no, in fact, we're going to walk as far from that guy as we can. Only out of the leading of God. Well, you know, there's, you have to leave it to him. You know, you never know. You can't, it ain't, how do you put it? You got to let God be God. And you can't just try to, most people I know driven, you know, kind of the old guys that used to tackle people at a Kmart parking lot and hold their foot on their neck until they profess Jesus. Uh, you know, they, they had a lot of people pray a sinner's prayer. But you yeah. see a lot of people say and they thought they were doing God's service, and they they run around telling each other how much they you know they had done. But uh, I, I gotta I, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I showed a lot of that ignorance when I was younger. Yeah, but it's what it is. God walked you out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a good friend years ago. We hadn't saw each other in many years, but we'd done some ministry together. Uh, he worked, uh, did a lot of evangelism in churches. Where I'm telling you, man, you see ninety to a hundred people saved a night. And he goes to this church one time, and for two days, they didn't see anybody saved. He didn't know what was going on. He said, I'll tell you one thing. I was on my face for that third meeting. And he he said, it was in that time when I got humble that God let me know. It's not you when they are saved, and it's not you when they aren't saved. You go preach the gospel. Yeah. Well, that night, a bunch of people were saved. And he said, you know, the thing is, I realized then is this is God's or this is not me. And he said, because in my heart, I ha- I was taking some of God's glory. Look at what God's doing with me. This is what real ministry looks like. He said, I got to where I was judging. I would go into these churches and I would judge that they hadn't really had anybody saved. Mm-hmm. And then he said, I realized, well, thank God that the Lord told him. As far as I know, he'd been leading 100 people a night to Jesus probably every night since. Amen. Amen. Uh, chapter 10, verse 17, Moses refers to God as the Lord of Lords. He says God of gods and Lord of Lords, mm-hmm. but, of course, Jesus is wearing this on his thigh when he comes back. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he's wearing it on his vesture and on his thigh, name Rick. Oh, I mean, it's obviously who he is. Yeah. Lord you know, I mean, really, when Jesus comes back, is he going to have his names written all over himself? Or is it from whatever direction you look, you're going to know who he is? Right. And I think that's probably more the case. Given a name which is above everything. He has on his vesture and on his thighs a name written. So if you think about he's sitting on the horse, what's John trying to let us see? Front, back, left, right. Yeah. You know who he is. And that's undeniable. And of course, that's obviously a reference to him there. You care to comment on the festivals or the feasts? Well, I mean, you know, they all point to Jesus some way or another. Right. I mean, they're, they're, they're you know, they, they all bear study. Um, any Christian will be blessed by, by, by knowing them because you'll see Jesus in them, uh, especially with us being Gentiles. Um, you know, we're not, you know, I know, I know some Messianic Jews that, that keep those, you know, mm-hmm. I know some Gentiles that do, uh, you know, the Lord don't mind that as long as we don't miss Jesus in it. Right. Uh, I've never been one to regard a day. I don't keep any of them. I don't, you know, Passover comes and goes with me. I, I'm glad for Good Friday, uh, but you know I don't I don't. If you notice, you you know we do one of our life groups will do Seder suppers and those kinds of things, and, and it blesses people. But you've noticed I never am there, 
It's not that I don't like them. It's just to be honest. It's just not. I'm not a guy that regards a day, and I don't regard it under the Lord. Mm-hmm. And there are those that do, but they all do show Jesus. I mean, I've studied them out. I mean, I know what's going on in them, but uh, I'm not bound under them, so I don't keep them. Yeah. I don't feel an obligation to keep something that God hadn't put on me. But, uh, 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 but they all, in every reference, you'll you'll see the Lord. Yeah, Amen. It was just same as some of those things that the Lord threw out there were not some of them, but obviously all the things that He put out there for them to do were meant to point them straight to straight to Him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really love this one in eighteen fifteen. In chapter 18, verse 15, Moses declares that God will raise up a prophet just like him from amongst their brethren. Is this specifically pointing straight to Christ? Oh, yeah. Yeah, without, without any, yeah. Without so any ifs, ands, buts about it. So it's not general? Uh-uh. Like when the prophets came up and started? No, because think about like with John the Baptist. They wanted to know, are you that prophet? Okay. It, yeah, see, are that's you the prophet? I, yeah. They knew that there was going to come the ultimate prophet. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, think of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Better than Moses. There's a prophet coming. That's could, this going to... be, could this be why Peter speaks up when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration? Because Moses shows up? Well, I don't know. You know, <laughs> bless Peter's heart. Most well-intentioned foot inserted into right. mouth that right. probably ever happened. And if you also notice how little patience the Father has. Right with Christ elevating Moses and Elijah or frankly with de-elevating Christ to the position of Moses and Elijah and he made them equal and you know Lord I mean the father jumped right in the middle of that right. you hear him and Moses and Elijah follow him you know, follow them he's not equal with them he's superior to them in every way and so uh, but but the but the but the type and shadow of of who that ultimate prophet would be would be a prophet like unto Moses. Okay. Where I mean there is a foretelling, there's a forth telling, there is a power of God in him, there's a fellowship with God in him. I mean, you know, in a lot of ways Moses was very much a picture, a type and shadow of the position that Christ would fall in. This was right as Moses was about to die. Yeah, right yeah, 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 see. And Almost like he was comforting them. He's letting them know that there's there's something coming even beyond Joshua. Yeah. There there's there's greater than just coming into the land. There's greater than kings or judges or whatever. There's gonna come a prophet. The prophet. Yeah, the prophet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen is as messianic a prophecy as there is in the old testament. If it's yeah. not messianic, there isn't a messianic prophecy. Yeah. Uh, bears real study because it is emphasized all the way through the New Testament. Well, I think I I I went back and tried to find at the very end of Deuteronomy because I think he makes another reference to that mm-hmm. to the prophet, and then I realized why. I don't know why I was wondering could it be general also, or what is it? I guess my better question was: Is it only specifically pointing towards Jesus? I, I think I think what I think what. What he's talking about in eighteen fifteen is only talking about that one that is going to be that anointed prophet. The one. The yeah. one. Not that the other prophets didn't come, they weren't anointed and they weren't used. 
it's it's that it's that office of the position of but there is that higher picture there is that higher place same thing with the priest same thing with the king right there's that there's that king coming that's going to sit on the throne of David forever now you know that God gave through David told him he's going to sit on the throne forever um you know that that high priest uh so much greater than what Aaron was you know that is going to stand in the gap. Right. You know, in a lot of ways, Moses, you, you don't see many people in the Old Testament fulfill more than one of the, the roles of Christ. You see Melchizedek being a king and a priest. You know, of course, I think it was Christ. Um, you see a Moses, a prophet, and a priest. How many times, not he wasn't the high priest, but how many times he stand between God and the people? Right. Yeah, and of course, he was the one that had to initiate and anoint his own brother who was yes. the first high priest. Yes. So Right. So you're you see those pictures. You see in David a king and a prophet. Right. But you don't see a priest. Right. Right. It's like the Lord limits that back so that you recognize that when Christ comes, here here's the only one that ever claimed to be all who's the king who went and was trying to fulfill Saul. Well who's the other king? They're the other one that tried to take his sacrifice and they warned him. Uh, I'm going blank. Anyway. But old Saul, like he bakes his own ephod. Well, right, yeah. And all that, and he going to offer whatever, uh-uh. And was, that's when the king got snatched out of his hand. Who is that king? Uh, I'm going blank as I I think he was, was he before, he was before or after Josiah. Anyway. But yeah, he tried to overstep his bounds and tried to, what a, oh, I'm he, going blind. He went into, and they was they was warning him sternly, don't do that. And uh, either God killed him or, anyway. But yeah. So that's a specific messianic oh, yeah. reference for sure. Um, and then another command or another thing that Moses declares is the display of executed people. And of course it made me think of Christ. It, oh, yeah. I mean that that's as messianic as it comes. If anyone's Cursed found is anyone guilty, hung on a tree. Yeah. If anyone's found guilty, deserving of the death penalty, there to be hung on a tree for anyone who's hung on a tree is under God's curse. Yeah. And that's exactly the position Christ took. Innocent as he could be, but died for the sins of everybody. Took the curse. Took the full weight of sin against himself. That is an amazing thing to me. To the point of becoming sin for us. And that, the great thing in that is where it shows how, how far we're delivered. If Christ, be, as we know, Paul said, if Christ became what I am, so I can become what he is, my position is considerably higher than I thought. Yeah. Christ did more than pay for sin. He had literally became it, completely removed us, removed it from us, right? That's where Paul's talking about he blotted out the handwriting of the ordinances. There wasn't even anything left. There is no condemnation against us in Christ. Because Christ literally became everything that we are and totally separated himself from the Father. Uh. We've got no idea what we're going to be when we get to heaven, Bob. I can't get over that that part it, it says if anyone is found guilty of course Christ you know he went through the trial the, the mm-hmm. which 
wasn't legitimate. Ludicrous as it was. Whatever. Right. But still, but. Yep. Still. It, because in order for the father's wrath against sin to fall upon him and crush him, the way Isaiah says he did, he had to have been found guilty. Well, yeah. He's not guilty of his own sin. But no, he but he was sin. sure guilty when he became sin for us. Right. Right. And you hear the words, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabathani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You're talking about a total separation in that, in that reality. That's why, wherefore God hath highly exalted him. One of the things we know is a father called Christ from the grave because all that he had been and became as a sacrifice was accepted. And if you notice, that's who calls the son from the grave. It's the father. That's where he's talking about there when he when he jumps from Jesus to, to the, using the word God, mm-hmm. which Christ was God. But in that position here, Christ has become sin. And Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, super exalted, literally is what it means. Raised him from the grave and ascended him back to the right hand. Not just brought him back to life, but put him at the right hand, back in the position of favor like we've talked about. And he's finished. The work is done. Christ had said it was done from the cross. It was all paid. Totally accepted, totally perfect, totally pure, perfect sacrifice. Totally accepted by God. Christ Death couldn't hold him because death couldn't hold him. But it didn't mean that the valid, legitimate price wasn't paid. Because Christ paid that in perfect humanity. He who knew no sin became sin. Not just died for it, but became it. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Where? In him. That's the position we're headed. That's the position we have and it's the position we're headed to. When we get home, God's going to blow our minds with us being in God. We're all running around here wanting to go fishing in heaven and running around on streets of gold and we are second we are second dealing down or we are dealing down what God has given us. <laughs> what makes the house great is not the house, it's who's in the house. Right. And that's, that's who's there, at. yeah. And that's who we are. We are in him. So that's that's what's that union, I've been studying that in my own mind for about six months. What did he literally mean when he said Christ the head of the church? We're his body. We're his house. We're his living stones. What does he mean literally when he, he says we're the bride of Christ and he says though two shall be one? Don't you know you're going to sit on thrones? Do you not know that you're gods? Don't you know you're going to judge angels? Who's going to judge angels? God is. How are we going to do it? Because we're in Christ. Mm-hmm. Literally in him, one in him. As he is in the Father. As he is in because that's what he prayed for. And will be one in the Father as he is. As he is in the Father. Look at how we don't we can't even grasp that. God three in one. And you recognize that as Christ's bride, there we are. In literally in God. That's that's the that's the thing we're not going that's the thing I can't get. I never thought about it. You know, you always put yourself as a kingdom citizen. What did he say? He said, you're already seated together on heavenly thrones. We're already there, seated together in Christ Jesus. So the, 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 the you know, we, we think of this city coming down from God. Um, it's just the, it's just the, I guess, well, how would you put it? The center of the essence 
of where God exists in his glory in, and we're in him as if he confines himself to a place a, an omnipresent God manifesting himself in a place uh, it's past me <laughs> I just know this like I've been telling people for years now quit calling grandma your angel because grandma judges angels now if she's in Christ yeah she's your guardian angel she way above you angel there ain't an angel in heaven wants her and her in their group because these that have been justified by faith that have not seen not created like the angels made lower than the angels but when we humble ourselves, God exalts us to the position. What did the devil want? The devil wanted God's throne. Where does God put those made lower than the angels from the very planet he threw the devil to? We humble ourselves. What In due time, he lifts us up. Where does he lift us up? To the throne that the devil wanted. He puts us on Christ's throne. We think of thrones around the throne, but we're in Christ. That right hand of, of, of favor is the, where we sit because mm-hmm. we're in Christ. Think of that. I don't know. We might have our own little throne to sit on, but that throne is in his throne. I don't know how it works. It's beyond me. I just know this. I know Jesus is bigger than I've always thought he is, and he's done more for me than I've always thought he's done. Yeah. Uh Moses declares that nobody of illegitimate birth is, can enter the camp up to his 10th generation. And is there a play in John 8 when they're having that kind of a... Remember they... Well, the big, that was their big thing, kind of like we touched on earlier. Their big thing was that they were part of the family. Yeah. You know, um, that's a picture of, 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 of being legitimately in the family. Um. And, and and the Jews had taken it, what well, had been the source of great blessing and t- turned it into a source of great pride. Yeah. It, it may very well be that, you know, they took great distinction. Jesus started telling them that they were of their father, right? Yeah. And they said, well, you know, you know, we only have one father, and that's Abraham. Abraham well, that, I mean, they even made the statement, we're not of illegitimate, or we're not, we're not of born of illegitimate birth. Right. 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 Yeah, we have one but father. But was that not an underhanded kind of a jab back at him because well it could be was there not a wasn't it was there because all of a sudden she shows up pregnant now they all think yeah. probably thought it was all joseph it could be it could be that yeah you know it could be tied into into that uh yeah we weren't you know we're not people that are separated we're of abraham's birth you know and jesus said well if you was of abraham you do the works of abraham right so at the very end of Deuteronomy, Moses' song is recorded there, and, and right. he retur- refers to the Lord over and over as the rock. Oh, yeah. Rock of salvation. Oh, sure. Well, it's it's there. Then, of course, you read the New Testament. This rock was Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, it's specific. And uh, so, uh, yeah. And that term, rock, it, and, and the illusion of a cornerstone and a rock cut without hands and all that, I mean that's all that, that 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 weaves its way all through the Old Testament. One of the primary things I think God wants us to know is that uh, I, He's stable, and uh, and and then when we're in Him, we're in a stable position. You know, uh, uh, people that you think of people that 
have great insecurities brought on, let's even by like things that happened in their childhood mm. where they doubted their position. He doesn't mm. want us to doubt our position. He doesn't, he, you know, a child that grows up not being sure if they're loved in a family can have some major insecurities later in life, uh, feel unwanted, unwelcome, or always feel like that, that position can be, can be removed. Well, what is God? He's a rock. He's a rock. You know, David said, you know, uh, well, you know, he talked, David, Lord, you know, David out there in that desert, you know, he talked Psalm about 27. He yeah, said sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a definite messianic title as much as there ever, there ever has been. one. It, uh, one of the greatest things that the Lord gave me in comfort was that very thing you're talking about. You know, I grew up that same exact way having, yep. you know, my wife grew up in a, in a, in an environment where she she was made to feel unwanted from the time she came mm-hmm. into the world. I won't go through the whole story here. But that to this day is something that she has to trust God in and her relationships or else she can, she can actually, if she lets herself go, she can get afraid in it again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that uh, not just with God, but in relationships and those kinds of things. So you, because it, 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 it is, you, you know what that feels like mm-hmm. to not know if you're in or out, you take a child that knows that they have a safety net under them. They know that they're loved. They know they're one. They live differently mm-hmm. than somebody that you know. Uh, I mean, you think what is the number one source of a people group that every spy agency on this planet looks for? Orphans. Yeah. Abandoned. Abandoned mm-hmm. because they. They and they seek, they fill in that blank form, okay. And so, you're because that's something fundamental. And I think it's why the Lord reiterates it so much yeah. to us is that I brought you because every one of us is Christians. Lord, help God, why, why did you even love us? Why did you bring us in? Look at the sin we have in ourselves. We don't deserve this position. If I don't deserve it, because see, my pride says I ought to be able to earn it. And if I know I don't deserve it, is it secure? See, God doesn't want us putting our attention on ourselves, mm. but on who? Him. What is he? He's a rock. Yeah. Right. I mean, you just, one of my favorite paintings, pictures, whatever, is is a, a great storm hitting a beach, and there's a lighthouse there, and it's setting up on a big old rock, and that wave hits that thing, and I mean, it is just flying by that lighthouse, right? And there's a guy standing right underneath that lighthouse. Right and he just standing right there behind it, and that whole that big rock is just broke that wave. And I mean, literally, there is death everywhere outside of that rock. But he's just standing there, he's just chilling out. Why? Because he knows that rock is greater than that wave that's coming against him. No matter, that's an impressive wave. I mean, it's a great picture. Yeah. But wow, here's the thing: doesn't matter because that rock is that rock has told that ocean this is as far as you come. And so when you read right Isaiah, where he's talking about uh, doesn't matter what what when the floods come against you, right? You're not gonna be overwhelmed. There's not a fire gonna come and it's gonna send you because because you're in me. Mm-hmm. And and you know that's a great that's a great comfort. There's a great power in knowing that God is there. And uh, uh, I'll tell this story. I know we've been talking a while, but. Uh, and it's not. And one of the things we have to realize is, God will let us be in positions where we use faith, and He lets us grow, and we'll sometimes feel like we're insecure in them. 
we'll feel like, well, where's God, you know? And uh, I'll tell you this little story. It's where I always, always go to when I think of these things. I was about 12, maybe 13, and my dog got out, and a bunch of guys from the neighborhood, all older than me, probably about, I don't know, 15 of them, and um, some of them into their probably 25. There's a big old group of them. And I looked down the road about two or three blocks down, and, and one of them guys had my dog on a leash. And I told my dad, I said, Daddy, that's my, that's, that's Bear is his name. I said, them guys got Bear. And he said, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, I need you to go get him. And he goes, you want your dog? Go get him. I didn't know what else to do. So I go to the shop. I get a Phillips head screwdriver. I guess I was going to use it like, you know, like a MacGyver or something. So I go down. I got it in my back pocket. Well, I confront those guys. And I didn't get the, really the, the, they dialogued with me. And one guy kind of was a smart aleck a little bit, but I won't pay me because he fed him and all this kind of stuff. But they basically pretty much gave up the dog. Here's this one little kid. And I'm telling you, the youngest guy there was 16. And they were all, you know, three or four years older than me. Up to 10 years older than me. And they, they were real cool about the whole thing. You know, you could tell they didn't like it, but they give it up. And, uh, and uh, so I told him, so you take him off that rope. And I had to stand there, you know, just I had that screwdriver in my pocket. It was my only defense, right? <laughs> so uh, I thought, so I told him, I called that dog. He came running to me, right? And I said, this is my dog. I'm taking him home. And they were cool with it. I figured I was about to take the whoop, baddest whooping I ever got in my life. Well, when I turned around, leaning back against the fence or up against a tree, about 50 feet behind me was my dad. And my dad was not to be played with. Yeah. And there wasn't one of them guys would have, that whole group wouldn't have made a move against my dad. They all knew who he was. Well, he just leaned there smoking a cigarette like he did. And, uh, and uh, I remember turning around and seeing him, and I just smiled. And he never cracked a smile, you know. And, uh, and we walked back up together. Well, my dad wanted me to face something right. bigger than me. But he had me. He had me. Yeah. Well, I was facing an absolute impossible situation, me and my little Phillips head screwdriver. But, but the reality was, sometimes in life, God lets us be in positions where we're like, why, God, why are you letting me be here? Why are you putting me here? And what he's wanting us to see that when we're in him, we've got more power than we know. When we're in him, listen, like I say, just like there ain't a devil in hell can move against me without my God saying it's okay. Right. Okay, I live in that same reality. I thought I was way out in front of the whole world and taking the world on. But every one of my enemies, as it were, had a choke chain on and my God's holding the, hand, the, 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 the leash. And there's a lot of times in life God wants us, and I'll never forget this, when I turned and I saw him, it's the most secure feeling I ever had with my dad in my whole life. Yeah, Because I knew, because again, there ain't a man in Ross who made a move against my dad and just out of reputation. And so when, you know, them guys, they're looking at me, doing me, but they know who they're having to deal with. Yeah. And, and so it was like, I'll <laughs> be, and right. So up I go to the house with my dog. Well, the thing is, is what, you know, you take about it, even right now, I'm 53 years old. How many times have I stood in front of a hostile crowd? How many times have I stood where, where everybody is against what you're saying or, or you don't know what's going to happen? Right. 
I don't, you know, I've walked in some pretty rough places. I mean, I've walked into a refugee camp in the middle of, of Palestine, you know, in the West Bank, and stand up, start speaking Jesus, and you don't know what's going to happen. Right. You know, that's a place where people for real get killed over their religious beliefs. Yeah. And while you're in a totally surrounded position, his God's there. And it's frankly, it's the most liberating feeling in the world. Yeah, when you're in it. When you're in it. Because when you're in it, you're you're the most alive you'll ever be. Yeah. Because again, you're totally dependent. You, you don't have any other recourse. I love it when God puts me in his hand. When I know that there is no other place we are. Standing around this building we were at one day, there was a storm come up. A bunch of us was standing out front, and literally a tornado started coming down right over top of us. And that tornado went from us and ended up running all through Lone Star and all that, tearing up a bunch of stuff. But it started right over top of this church. We sit there and watched it. One of the guys here at this church was filming it. And somebody said, should we go get in a ditch? And I said, boys, it don't matter now. We're in the hand of God. And it's the most, because there's no other, you're running ain't going to do nothing. Right, and just when you're in that, in that, just totally resting in God. God wants us to live like that every day. Right, whether it's in ministry or whatever, nothing doubting. What did James say? Nothing doubting. You ever ask up? Nothing doubting. Nothing doubting. But that, uh, the last thing we were going to talk about was Moses' blessing. He says, "All your holy ones are in your right hand." And of course, Jesus yeah. reiterates that. Yeah, that's in John chapter ten. Yeah, it's the you know. He says. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My hand. Yeah. My hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I and my father are one. No, mm-hmm. no one. You know, that word there in John, 99% of every English translation, says neither shall anything or anyone. But Christ says any. The word thing and one is added by the translators. You know, see, it's always in italics. Well, Paul brings up the fact that nothing's going to separate us, and he starts listing all sorts all of that stuff. stuff. Yeah. He lists spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. He lists physical things, right? Past, present, fat, skinny, right? Yeah. Doesn't matter. And 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 because we are held in Him, I think. I think that one of the greatest tragedies in evangelical Christianity is this: there's so many that that think they're holding on to God. When it's God who's holding us, I cannot get over. Sometimes people go, "Well, you believe once saved, always saved, because you're a Baptist." No, I read my Bible. I read my Bible, and here's the thing: I think God is better than I am. I think God is bigger than me. And while yes, God should, based on my actions, let me go. In his love and his might and his power and his promise, who even if we become faithless, remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. I can't read that and think that God will let me go. I can't read it and think, the Bible says I am sealed under the day of redemption. Now I'm sealed or I'm not, and the Holy Spirit is my down payment. Ain't that what he called there in Ephesians? My our earnest? Mm. So Christ, the Spirit of God has indwelt me as as a as a down payment on the reality that I am in God. The Spirit of God's going to be in me till I'm in Him, in right. spirit, soul, and body. What, what, what other assurance do I need? God is in me. Well, you say, well, if God's in you, you do good. Amen. We ought to do good because the Lord's in us. But we don't do good to keep the Lord in us. Who's the master here? Right. Us or God? Who can kick the Spirit out? You say, well, if I, if I choose to, oh, now, yeah, your free will just superseded the one that gave it. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. 
Remember, you get to choose whether or not you're going to be saved, but you don't get to choose the consequences of it. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of Where's Jesus with Pastor Todd Peavy. I pray it blesses you in Jesus' name. Again, if you have any questions or comments, you can find us on Facebook at Reflecting Christ Podcast.